Good morning. My name is John Carroll, in case we have not met. I'm one of the pastors here at Hope Covenant, and we are continuing our message series called Real Mature. And I want to start by saying that throughout the last half century or so, our world has fallen in love with superheroes. Whether it's Superman or Iron Man or the Incredible Hulk or Captain America, we celebrate their strength and their unmatched skills and their seemingly limitless power. When I was a little tyke, I wanted to be Batman. And uh, here I am, I got a picture. Here I am on uh, my great-grandfather's lap. You can see his 1979, so that would make me three. I think there's a pretty close resemblance between me and the real Batman, don't you think? Of course, uh, today's superhero looks way different than the Burt Ward version of Batman from the 1970s. For instance, Aquaman. I mean, seriously, look at this guy. Flowing locks of hair, chiseled muscles. Clearly, he's been training with Blake Van Alken. Of course, Blake's not here today, still on vacation, but if you saw him, you would know. Uh, The reality is, people can't get enough superheroes. And as a result, Hollywood has made uh, tons of movies uh, and shows about superheroes. And according to Internet Movie Database, uh, over the last um, uh, 40 years, there have been 78 movies made about superheroes. Billions of dollars have been uh, spent to create and satisfy our fascination with this epidemic. Nowadays, I'm not as into the whole superhero movie thing, but since I have kids, I happen to catch the latest installment of the Avengers called Infinity War. Now, we all know that at the end of any decent superhero movie, the good guy wins. Well, throughout Infinity War, there's these epic battle scenes between the good guys and the bad guys, and everyone's superpowers are on full display. But this time, we're left wondering if evil will finally emerge victorious. Now, I'm not going to spoil the ending if you haven't seen the movie, but the point is we go way out of our way to celebrate superheroes and the supernatural powers that they use. Well, here's the problem. We've been discipled by our culture more than we've been discipled by Jesus. Our culture teaches us to look at virtues such as strength and power and talents and hold them in such high regard that we compare everyone else, including ourselves, to this impossible standard. And then when we encounter weakness, we tend to connect those experiences to guilt and to shame. And our identity is not rooted in something that's beautiful, good, and true. And as a result, we're not emotionally healthy, and we struggle with spiritual maturity. Last week, I shared that our emotional health and our spiritual maturity are inseparable. In order to begin the journey towards maturity, we need to examine two key areas in our lives. We need to look below. Emotionally healthy people take a deep, hard look inside their hearts, far below the surface, and assess how their emotions affect their actions. We also need to look back. Emotionally healthy people understand how their past affects their present ability to love. And this can be a challenging process. Looking below the surface and looking back on our past causes us to recognize areas of our lives that we wish weren't there. 
Yet on the road to emotionally healthy discipleship, it doesn't end with looking back and looking below. Our next steps include not just discovering, but embracing the parts of us that our culture considers ugly. And these areas include brokenness and limitations. But you see, this is really painful for us. And as you know, human beings don't prefer pain. So we play the pain avoidance game. But I want to encourage you that if you embrace the pain, you will grow from it in very powerful ways. It's a process called hugging the cactus. I didn't make this phrase up. This phrase was actually coined by actor-director Mel Gibson. Yes, that Mel Gibson. And I have a short little video that explains it. So let's take a look. Actually, I asked Mel to present uh, this award to me for a reason. Because when I couldn't get sober, he told me not to give up hope. And he urged me to find my faith. Didn't have to be his or anyone else's as long as it was rooted in forgiveness. And I couldn't get hired, so he cast me in the lead of a movie that was actually developed for him, and he kept a roof over my head, and he kept food on the table. And most importantly, he said that if I accepted responsibility for my wrongdoings, and if I embraced that part of my soul that was ugly, uh, hugging the cactus, he calls it, he said that if I hugged the cactus long enough, I'd become a man of some humility, and that my life would take on a new meaning. And I did, and it worked. Um, All he asked in return was that uh, someday I help the next guy in some small way. Uh, It's reasonable to assume that at the time he didn't imagine the next guy would be him. (laughs) Or that someday was tonight. (laughs) So anyway, on this special occasion, And in light of the recent holidays, including Columbus Day, I humbly ask that you join me, unless you are completely without sin, in which case you picked the wrong industry, (laughs) in forgiving my friend his trespasses, offering him the same clean slate you have me, and allowing him to continue his great and ongoing contribution to our collective art without shame. He's hugged the cactus long enough. Hugging the cactus means embracing the parts of us that are ugly. And when we do this long enough, we develop the kind of maturity that produces a beautiful life. Someone who was no stranger to hugging the cactus was the Apostle Paul. If you're not familiar with Paul, he was arguably the greatest Christian to ever live. He wrote almost half the New Testament, and he planted several churches all along along the Mediterranean region. Paul was super gifted, but this dude had some serious issues. And these issues are what Paul referred to as thorns of the flesh. Thorns of the flesh. And they plagued him relentlessly. And it turns out that the church that he planted in Corinth was a major thorn in his flesh. You see, Corinth was a huge city located on the Aegean Sea in Greece. It was densely populated, 
multi-ethnic, and very promiscuous. Think of New York City, Los Angeles, and Las Vegas all rolled up into one. So the culture in Corinth starts rubbing off on everyone, including Christians. And they lust for power and for strength and for otherworldly things. And Paul decides to write them a letter. Now you would think Paul would appeal to the Corinthian church by using the language that reflected the culture. But he doesn't. He does just the opposite. Paul argues for the authenticity of his leadership by appealing not to his grand visions and ideas about God, not to his numerous successes, but instead to his weakness. He tells them the thorn in his flesh is a gift. And then he goes on to say, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, to take this thorn in my flesh away from me. But he said to me, this is Jesus talking to him, my grace is sufficient to you, for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You see, for Paul, his great weakness was his badge of apostleship and authority from God. So much so that he boasted in it, arguing that it is when the real power and glory of Jesus flowed through him. So for the rest of today... We're going to look at embracing the brokenness and limitations in our lives, or as Mel Gibson says, hugging the cactus, and how Jesus gives us the kind of power that Paul talks about. So we'll talk about the origin of brokenness. See, our brokenness began in a garden where humanity defied God and was cursed by thistles and thorns, as it says in Genesis 3. And starting in that chapter in verse 16, God explains, from that point forward, all of life will be painful and difficult, including our relationships and our jobs. God doesn't unleash this curse because he's furious with us. Rather, God, out of love, wants us to hit the ground with our knees and seek him. Problem is, instead of being broken by thorns and thistles and thus coming to Christ, We either flee, or we fight, or we hide. Some of us flee by burying our pain in some form of addictive behavior. Maybe we pour our energies in our jobs while failing miserably at home. Or maybe we bury ourselves in caring for our children as a way of not having to look at the broken areas of our lives. Some of us become angry or bitter or violent because life isn't going the way that we hoped, and we fight. It's not uncommon for me to run into people who are angry at God for not answering their prayers or doing what they think God should do. Still others of us build our lives in ways that hide how broken and damaged we are. On the outside, we look successful, but on the inside, we have created a false sense of worth. And the reality is, everyone is broken. And it's, common, it's a common trait that we all carry, no matter how much we deny it. 
I mean, here's the good news. God powerfully works through those who do not depend on their own gifts or strengths or resources. And we have stories from Scripture that prove it. Moses stuttered. Abraham was too old. David was too young. Naomi was a widow. Noah got drunk. Jonah was a chicken. Martha was a worrier. Thomas doubted. Solomon was too rich. Jesus was too poor. Heck, Lazarus was dead. And I look at this list, and I can't help but think of my own brokenness. I suffer from anxiety. When things start piling up in life, I get anxious, which can make me a grouch to be around. I have some deep insecurities as a pastor, as a husband, as a father, as a friend. To compensate, I have this insatiable desire to succeed because I think that the affirmation I receive will somehow validate me as a person of worth. What does your brokenness look like? Maybe you suffer from anxiety too. Maybe it's depression or addiction or loneliness or anger. Maybe there are scars on your soul from an abusive past. Maybe it's a physical disability or a chronic disease. And these things have affected how you are viewed by others and how you view yourself. Years ago, I heard a story about a water carrier in India who had two large pots, each hung on each end of a pole on which he carried across his neck. One of the pots had a crack in it, while the other pot was perfect and always delivered a full portion of water. At the end of the long walk from the stream to the master's house, the cracked pot arrived only half full. Every day, the water carrier made the same journey. Of course, the perfect pot was proud of its accomplishments, but the poor cracked pot was ashamed of its own imperfection and miserable that it was able to accomplish only half of what it had been made to do. After two years of what it perceived to be a bitter failure, the cracked pot spoke to the water carrier. I'm ashamed of myself, and I want to apologize to you. For these past two years, I am able only to deliver half of my load because of the crack on my side that causes the water to leak out, and it happens all the way back to your master's house. Because of my flaws, you don't get full value for your efforts. The water carrier smiled and said, as we return to the master's house, I want you to notice the beautiful flowers along the path. So on the way back from the stream, the cracked pot looked around. Did you notice that there were flowers only on your side of the path, but not on the other pot's side? That's because I have always known about your flaw, and I took advantage of it. I planted flower seeds on your side of the path, and every day while we walk back from the stream, you've watered them. For two years, I have been able to pick these beautiful flowers to decorate my master's table. Without you being just the way you are, he would not have this beauty to grace his house. You see, this is how God works in us. The culture around us treats brokenness as terminal. It says, you are not worthy. You are broken. 
But God says this is a universal human experience that cuts across every age, race, creed, gender, social class. It is my gift, specially crafted for you, so that you can lead out of your weakness, not your own strength, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Hugging the cactus of brokenness is a very real way of practicing vulnerability, which leads to wholeness, because you allow God to fill in the gaps and the cracks in your life. The culture of our world around us may tell us that we're not worthy because of our brokenness. And it may also say that we're not worthy because we're not like other people. It's our limitations that can create insufficiency in the eyes of the world. And I have found that most of us resent limits in ourselves and in others. We tend to expect too much from ourselves and each other, causing us to live with emotions like jealousy and anger and fear and shame. Shortly after starting at Hope, I spent a lot of time trying to be someone I was not. It actually led to a bit of a crisis. You see, when you serve as a pastor, it doesn't take long to discover your limitations. I studied good qualities of good pastors, and I wanted to have all of those things. I wanted to lead like Craig Rochelle. I wanted to teach like Andy Stanley. I wanted to tell jokes like my friend Joe Luz. I wanted to shepherd like Jeff Gannon. The only problem was, as good as those guys are, none of them can do all of those things with excellence. Sure, they may have two or, those area, two or three of those areas mastered, but they're far from perfect. Everyone experiences limitations, but it's how you embrace them that matters. Another pastor uh, I respect is a guy by the name of John Ortberg. He's a pastor of a church in California, and he once told a time, uh, told a story about a time when he was with friends at the county fair, and he spotted a mechanical bull, you know, the kind of one that will try to buck you off if you ride it. Well, the guy operating the bull, a fellow by the name of Turk, said, watching isn't as nearly fun as trying it. So John decided to ride. Turk took one look at this middle-aged body and asked, are you sure? A question that guaranteed John wouldn't back down. Turk explained that the bull has 12 levels of difficulty. It might not be easy, he said, but the key is you have to stay centered on the bull. You have to follow the bull. You have to shift your center of gravity on the bull. So John got on the bull, and it started slow. And then it started moving faster and jostling around. And he was holding on real tight. And then he remembered the advice. So John loosened up. It kept moving faster and jolting and bucking and jumping. He was hanging on sideways. His arms were flailing around all over the place. He just hung on. And finally, the bull slowed down, and it stopped, and John was still on the bull. It wasn't pretty, but he made it. John imagined how surprised Turk would be that he had triumphed. So John looked over at Turk, and Turk looked over at John, shaking his head and smiling. He said, nice job. That was level one. (laughs) Not everyone was made to ride bulls. While our culture resists the ideas of limits, we need to embrace them. God has made you unique 
for a reason. You have certain emotional, physical, and spiritual capacities. Embracing them, both the good and the bad, is a deeply spiritual issue, and it's an important part of our emotional health. Pete Cesaro, uh, who wrote the book, The Emotionally Healthy Church, says, maturity in life is when someone is living joyfully within their God-given limits. Maturity in life is when someone is living joyfully within their God-given limits. And I'll add another idea to that quote. And I believe we move towards spiritual maturity when we embrace the fact that God is more interested in what He's doing in you than through you. God is more interested in what He's doing in you than through you. You see, God isn't concerned with your limits as much as how you use your gifts to do what you do have for good. Okay? God's not concerned with your limits as much as how you use those gifts that you do have for good. The thing I want to say most today is hugging the cactus, embracing your brokenness and your limits is a biblically rooted pathway to spiritual maturity. If Paul were giving the message today, he wouldn't tell us about how he planted 21 churches in Asia Minor. He wouldn't have a sermon entitled Six Steps for Growing Church Leaders. No. Paul would talk about how God hadn't answered all his prayers and about how weak and difficult and fractured he was. And he would tell us, listen up, friends. There is a message in this for all of us. If God can use me, he can use anybody. This life we have, it's really about what Jesus is doing in us, not our own strengths and abilities. The kingdom of God is about his power, not ours. So be encouraged. That's what he would say. Paul knew this because he was a disciple of Jesus. He experienced pain in the battle between good and evil. He learned what strength and weakness means from his master instructor. And Jesus is inviting you and me to learn the same. You see, Jesus freely laid aside his superpowers as he experienced the limits of his own humanity. He made himself vulnerable. And on the cross, his body was broken. Jesus knows what it is to be broken and limited. Yet Jesus won that battle. Not with violence or muscles or fancy weapons like the Incredible Hulk or Iron Man, but by bearing violence and love. And his father raised him on the third day. Evil doesn't win. And justice doesn't have to have the last word. Because for all the darkness and ambiguity that's out there, there is a bright light that shines in the universe. And now we're a part of that battle. And there's a battle out there in the world. And there's a battle in here. The battle between us and evil. What you need to know is, you don't fight this battle alone. God is with you. And together, you live a resurrected life. You have been raised to a new life in Christ. And Christ is in you. For God works in people who our world thinks are marginal. Where our strength is made perfect in weakness. 
There's a real big God who is bigger than your brokenness, bigger than your limitations, bigger than your pain. And he will give you healing if you ask. And he will give you peace if you ask. And he will give you comfort if you ask. There's a great battle, but this is your day. You do not fight alone. You can be a hero. Let's pray. Oh, gracious and loving God, our lives are not perfect. We have brokenness and limits that hold us back from doing the kinds of things we sometimes want to do. And my prayer today is that we would recognize the parts of our lives that seem ugly and open ourselves up to the ways you can work in them. And I pray that we live joyfully in the limits you have prescribed for us. Help us to hug the cactus where your power is made perfect in our weakness. God, would you bring healing into our lives? Would you bring peace into our lives? Would you bring comfort into our lives? And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.